So I'm going to be honest with you, not, not that I'm not always honest with you, but I'm going to be a little more honest with you this morning. If you've been around this place very often, you know that I try to stay out of my notes as much as I possibly can. I want to engage. I want to connect. I want to make sure that we're on the same page. You are my friends, and I love to have conversation with you. During this series, I'm going to be a little bit more heavy on my notes. I, I want to really stick to them. I have some very clear things that I want to say. I don't want to leave anything unsaid and undone. Um, as we go through this, we're going to do a couple really cool things. Uh, we're going to have um, the teaching on our podcast, and then we're going to spend some time during the week with different folks having what we're going to call conversations, where we're going to sit and we're going to uh, take what we talked about and we're going to open it up a little more. And we're just going to have a conversation just sitting at a table, and we're going to post that as well. So that you have an opportunity then to go back and say, man, there's questions I had, there's things I'm unsure about, uh, what does this mean? And I don't have all the answers, I want to be very clear about that, but I'm going to do the best I can to take us down this path. And so as you have questions, if things pop in your head, you say, I don't know about that, or what about this, or how does this work, and help me understand that, take that card that we have and flip it over, we have thousands of them, so don't feel like you're wasting one. Take a pencil and, or a pen and just write your question. Drop it in the box and we'll grab those. And if there's questions, we'll take those and we'll try to answer those throughout the weeks of the series. Would, would that be helpful to everybody? Okay, so, so let's just kind of jump in. So as, as, as Suzanne was praying, I was watching the kids all head out, right? And I was just thinking about them going out. And the, and the first thing I thought about was on this um, pile of here, I have the Erdman's, or uh, Erdman's, Eggemeyer's Bible Storybook. Has anybody ever had the Eggemeyer's Bible Storybook? Did anybody kind of grow up around this kind of thing, right? I mean, you can raise your hands. This is participatory. It's totally okay. We're having a conversation. Uh, I had this, and, and I kind of remember reading through this, and it's kind of great. If, if you feel, and I'm just going to be honest with you, I told somebody who's going through what's called the ordination process, which is where they're preparing to be a pastor, and they have to answer questions, and they have to take some tests about Bible content. I said, pick up a copy of this. And they said, Really? And I said, yeah, this thing's great. If you're unsure about the content of the Bible, this is a great way to walk through it. It's got uh, pictures. If you need pictures, you know, some of us need pictures more, right? Um, Large font. Some of us need large font, right? I'm not saying who does. But it has all these great stories that help us connect. Because sometimes, you know, we open up a Bible, you know, whether it's like this, this one's kind of my little pocket phone. This is kind of one of my favorite Bibles. Or you have a big family Bible that has all the marriages and death uh, things at the front and all that. So you know what I'm talking about? The one that gets all dusty on your coffee table that you never open? You ever sit down, you ever pull that one open, you're like, hey kids, today we're going to do a Bible study. You know, and it opens up and your kids are all like, what is happening, right? And you're like, <sighs> and then you have to give them a bath and come back and do it again because there's so much dust on it. So, but when you open that, sometimes you look, and it can just be kind of intimidating. There, there's a lot going on here, and we can look and go, I, I don't know how any of it connects. I don't know what I'm supposed to understand. What do I do with the really hard stuff that I don't really like? You know, how, what am I supposed to do with that? And that's what this series is all about. So now as your pastor, and I, you're probably glad about this, I own a lot of Bibles. Uh, I had Bibles that I had growing up. And, um, and then I had Bibles, you know, that I've kind of bought in the last couple years, like that one. Uh, this one I got at seminary when I was um, doing my postgraduate studies. I got, got this one. And then um, I think this one, too, 
uh, which is really cool. It's got all these kind of notes and cool things in the, in the margins. And if you ever have a question, like you're like, where do I find a good Bible? Just ask me. I would love to help you find a good Bible. You know, maybe you say, I, I want to understand the depth of things a little more. Okay, well, this one here, uh, this one's awesome. Uh, this is called, where's the name? Uh, the NIV First Century Study Bible. And this guy, this incredible scholar went through, and he's got notes just packing this thing just to help understand it. Or you say, you know, I, I need a Bible that, you know, I can read. You know, that I, I can we get rid of the shalls and the thous and whatevers? How, how, well, how, I don't understand it. Okay, well, then there's this one. This is called um, Today's New International Version, and I think they have a, a different one. I think they dropped the two days. I don't know why. Uh, but that one is really good. So there's all sorts of Bibles that I'd love to help you to get a hold of just to read. Because my goal in this series is that at the end of it, you would love the Bible as much as I love it. I absolutely love the Bible. And the reason I can make that statement is because I'm not sure that I always did uh, love the Bible. Hold on a second. I go to Mr. Rogers here, apparently. Uh, I don't think that I always did love the Bible. I grew up with the Bible. I grew surrounded by the Bible. My dad was a pastor, so we always had the Bible. And I love the stories. I love the stories in this uh, Egemeyer's book. I read my kids to now. I love for them to hear the stories. I mean, we all know those stories. We, we know Noah. I mean, come on, Noah and the Ark, what a great story, right? This flood comes, and God saves Noah. That's great, right? And then there was this one that I loved as a kid. It was called um, uh, Joshua, and it was the Battle of Jericho. You guys know that one? And they would march around... This, this uh, city, all they had were horns and weapons. They just had these trumpets. And at a certain time, they would blow all the trumpets and the walls came down. We even had songs that we sung, you know, with those. And then there was Paul, uh, who was one of the first followers of Jesus. And he started all these churches. And he was so courageous to do that, going to all these different places and different cultures. And he was just awesome. And I loved those stories. And then I got to college. And then I began to read them again. See, when I was a kid, read them in Sunday school, we had flannel graph, so the teacher would even put the little characters up. I, mean, I think we have a picture of flannel. Do we have a picture of flannel graph? Yeah, right? I mean, we don't need video. We got flannel graph, people. And we'd put those up there, and you'd attach them to the wall, and you'd tell the little stories, you know, and, you know, people would, you know, put one up, and they'd say, no, no, Jesus doesn't go with Moses. What are you doing? Hold on a second, you know. Ryan, sit down, right, is what they would do. And they'd take another one, they put it up there, and, and they would tell us the stories through this. And it was cool, and I loved it. And like I said, then I got to college, and I started reading the stories again. That's when I figured something out. That, okay, if, if God saved Noah in the flood, then everybody else died. The way the story is told, there's some animals that get saved, but everything else is destroyed. All the people are destroyed. All the animals are destroyed. You know, it says, well, they were bad. Oh, man, that doesn't, that seems a little high punishment, right? Like, I try not to spank my daughter, right? I try to say, let's do timeouts instead. We went from you're misbehaving to something really scary. And then I read this story about Joshua and this battle of Jericho. And I thought about, oh, yeah, it's so cool. I want to be in the Lord's army marching around, you know, and I blow my trumpet and the walls just, you know, crash down, and that's awesome. And then I thought to myself in college, what about the people who live there? 
I mean, there would have been moms and dads and kids, and they're looking out at this army, and the last sound they hear is the sound of trumpets and cracking mortar and crumbling rock. And that's the end. Man, I, I don't know if I like this anymore. And then, start reading about this guy named Paul. I loved Paul. And then when I was in college, I started reading passages about where he said, hey, you know what? All the women, just shut up, sit in the back, and listen to all the men. And I thought, I like that. And I said, no, I don't. Hold on, wait. And I realized that's not right. And I said, that's not okay. That's not the way I want my kids to live. If you looked at my daughter and you said, shut up and listen to all the men in the world, I'd say, come over here because I'm going to show you some piece of Jesus real quick, right? That's not going to roll, but somehow I let Paul slide. So all of a sudden, I began to ask all these questions. And this song, maybe you've heard this song, and I'm going to sing again. I hope you don't mind. Do you remember this one? The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, right? Know that one? And if you don't know that, if you're not a church person, you're like, these people are so weird. And that's fine. Lean on into it, okay? You're going to find it gets weirder. But I love these stories as a kid, and that made sense. And then all of a sudden, I didn't feel real good standing alone on the Word of God. It started to feel real loose all of a sudden. I was uncomfortable, and I was scared, and I was asking really tough questions. And all of a sudden, my innocent faith of a child was tested by very real questions I began to ask about this book that people call Holy Scripture. So maybe you've asked questions like that before. And maybe you're sitting here today going, I can't believe my pastor is asking these questions. This is crazy. Like, this is weird. Or maybe you're a guest and you're like, this church is really weird. They're willing to ask hard questions. Yes. I don't do this very often, but let me read the description for this series. It says this, what do you do with an ancient book that's full of wisdom and confusion, clarity and contradictions, love and violence. The words from the Bible have been used by preachers, liberators, musicians, kings, and politicians to inspire and lead, but to also bring fear and oppression. Many have asked and continue to ask, is this book sacred scripture or something else? Questions which often are seen as doubt and disbelief are where we think faith can begin. Is there a Bible story that has struck you as strange or troubling, one that perhaps stirred up questions and doubts? You don't have to answer all at once. I'm sure we all can figure one out. Are there questions about the Bible you've been afraid to confront but would love to ask? Have you felt drawn to Jesus but wondered how the rest of the Bible fits into a modern faith? These are the questions we want to wrestle with, and we're inviting you into the conversation So rather than ignore the hard questions about the Bible, we're going to lean into them. Because tension always has the potential to lead us all to a more authentic faith. Now, that description is found um, over there on the table. We have these mailers that went out to about 5,000 people around. And maybe you got one. If you didn't, we still love you. Just understand we were trying to hit a certain group of people. And on there, um, if you want to grab one, I think there's like a hundred some left, and you think, 
I know someone who is asking questions like this, grab one of those cards, take it to them, put a stamp on there, put their address, mail it to them, send it off, get it to your friends, because I think, I think this is going to be good. I think this is going to be healthy for all of us. Now, the first thing that I want us to realize is that we are not the first to wrestle with the hard questions about the Bible, all right? Now, you probably have heard of a man named Thomas Jefferson, right? How many of us know who Thomas Jefferson is, right? Really? How many of us know who Thomas Jefferson is? This is the eighth grade here, okay? He was a third president of the United States. He was an important figure in the founding of the country. But what I find interesting about Jefferson is that he had an honest wrestling with his faith. Um, the book on the screen right here that I'm going to show you is called The Jefferson Bible. You can actually buy it on Amazon, though I don't think Jefferson would have wanted you to buy it on Amazon. Um, because historians are, are pretty certain that he, he didn't create this version of the Bible for anybody but himself. Uh, it's a fascinating... Does anybody know what, have heard of the Jefferson Bible? So what he did, and, and we have historians in the room, you can correct me if I'm wrong, okay? But what we understand that he did, he basically um, had the same questions that you and I had, and he took a razor, and he literally removed the parts of the Bible that he was uncomfortable with. Now, he mostly spent time in the life of Jesus, and he just kind of took those sections out, and then he glued the Bible back together in a way that he said, okay, now I can live with that. And we all kind of go, that seems crazy. But apparently this was so important to him because this was central to his personal faith. This, this was his devotional. So my mom, who has an incredible faith, has always gotten up, and I know she still does, always gotten up early, and she prays for her grandkids, she prays for her kids, she prays for everybody, and she reads a devotional, and she's done this forever. Well, Thomas Jefferson was reading the Bible, and finally he went, I can't do it. I'm out. I can't do it anymore. How many of us have looked at the Bible and gone, I can't do it anymore. I'm out. That's it. I can't. It doesn't make any sense. I, I, I quit. And Jefferson had the guts <laughs> to go, I'm going to lean right on into my questions. And he starts taking out the stuff he doesn't like. Seems sacrilegious. But he had to for his own faith. But there's a problem he got wrong. Those questions were not meant to be alone. We are not supposed to wrestle with those questions alone. This is why if you have questions, why would you be afraid to ask them in church? If there's anything that I can believe in Scripture, it's that God created community. All throughout Scripture, over and over and over again, he brought people together in community. And they wrestled with things. They wrestled with questions. They, they wrestled with what it means to follow God, but they did it together. So Jefferson missed it. He missed the opportunity. So, so here's the thing. We should wrestle together. We should ask hard questions. We should see where we land at the end of the day. So, so then here's the question. This is pretty big. Where in the world do we start? You probably have a passage you'd love to start with. You're sitting there thinking, Ryan, oh, please talk about this one. Or Ryan, please talk about this one. Oh, can you please talk about this one? But what I'd like to do this morning is I want to start at the very beginning. It seems to make the most sense, right? Why not start at the beginning? So let's go to Genesis 1.1. Uh, I'm going to read through verse 5 just to give some context. 
And then we're going to see what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. Um, I'm going to pray. Ben, would you grab, could you grab me some water real quick? Thank you. Um, let's pray. God, we thank you for this book that we call the Bible. God, we thank you that we can wrestle with it. We thank you for this community. God, I am so grateful for this community where it is okay to ask hard questions. God, I ask that you would be with us this morning as we wrestle with this, as we open up your word. God, as we look at this first verse of Genesis, the very beginning, and we see what you can teach us through it. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So, this small section of scripture probably raises a lot of questions for you. Like, like if, I, if I had you read Genesis 1, and then I said, go home, and I want you to come back with all of your questions about Genesis 1, you would probably have a lot of questions. And if you, don't have, if you didn't have come back with a lot of questions, I would probably look at you and say, you're doing it wrong. Try again. <laughs> Ask it again. I mean, listen, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If that doesn't start you going, hold on, I got some questions. And if you've been around church for a long time and you don't have questions, you got to reset. You got to start fresh. You got to peel back those layers and say, hold on a minute, let me back up, okay? So, So we should automatically have all sorts of questions. You might even be a person who you've read this before. You can't reconcile the faith and the science here, so it's completely turned you off. And I totally get that, and we're actually going to talk about that next week. But it's not what I want to address today. I want to look at this first verse, because I think in this first verse, there's something radical here. I think we can discover something. It's going to dramatically change the way that we look at Scripture. So so listen to it one more time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it seems simple enough, right? It seems simple, but maybe it's not. So here's this very same passage in a different translation of the Bible called the King James Version. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, wait a minute. (laughs) Is it heavens or is it heaven? Which one is it? Is there one or is there two? And just that small change right there all of a sudden makes you go, wait a second, what, what's, what's going on? So I'm going to go back a little further. Here is uh, what this verse looks like in Old English. Would anybody like to try to pronounce the bottom for me? <laughs> See, it's hard enough to understand the differences between Old English and Middle Ages English. And then we see the difference between that and what we just read. Now, the reason for this is because we are reading um, 
the reason for this is because we were reading translations, okay? So, so let, me, let me back up here a second. So this was written in Hebrew. There are other parts of the Bible that were written in Greek. Jesus spoke in the language Aramaic. And somebody had to take that, and they had to look at it. They had to understand the language. They had to study the language. They had to try to understand where does all this come from? What did it mean in its original context? How did it all fit together? And so they created translations. Because your grandma's Bible that landed on your coffee table did not just land there straight from heaven as much as that would be awesome. It just didn't happen. Somebody took the time to translate. So the Bible is written over thousands of years. And now listen to this. It's really, it's really a library. And that's why I love our background. It's more of a library. 60 different authors, 60 different kind of communities of people, three different languages. And what we just read here, this part, was written in that language I said, Hebrew. Now let me show you what Genesis 1 looks like in Hebrew. And this is going to be a little hard to, hard to read, but look what it, what it says. Okay? Now, and also remember... You need to read this not from left to right, but from right to left, because that's how Hebrew is written. Then you also have to remember that this was written down after a very, very long oral tradition. People didn't just stop and write all this down. They had an oral tradition. What we understand is that they would tell these stories to their kids, just like, I want to tell the stories to my kids. They would tell the stories that helped them to understand it, and it would pass along from generation to generation to generation, and thank goodness that God, through his inspiration, grabs somebody and says, write this down already. Have you played telephone? It's a dangerous game, folks. Now, we're lucky. In the ancient world, people understood how to play telephone. They didn't mess things up. They were exact. They memorized things so absolutely clear. I don't know how they did it. I'm almost 40. They must have been not near 40. They must have been all of them 20 because they could memorize all of it. There's no way I could do it. But they did, and they would pass these memorized stories down to one to one to one to one, and it lands, and they write it down. Now, here's where this gets really cool. This is why this matters, because you're probably saying, why does any of this matter, Ryan? What What are you going on here? It matters... And this, this is really important here. Hebrew is unruly. Hebrew is difficult to translate. If you are going to pick a language to put the Bible in, and you wanted it to be as clear as it could possibly be, you would not pick Hebrew. It is so hard. It's why I said, I'll study Greek. I'll do a little Hebrew. No, I'm going back to Greek. It is a very, very difficult language. Now, this is where this gets cool. The Hebrew word that's the very beginning here is often translated in the beginning. Now, this is where it gets cool. And this is where I'm going to get really nerdy, okay? It can also be translated when God began to create. And that's because the first word is like a compound word, okay? So you have this letter, and then you have the rest. The word, um, terrible pronunciation, but I'm going to get as close as I can so I don't curse. It's Bereshit, okay? I warned you. How you translate the second part of that word changes everything in the beginning. Wow, your kids are having a good time today. Number one, I have to pause. Number one. 
would you please, after the conclusion of the service, give a hug to the teachers? Say thank you. If you want to tip them, I understand. And if you want to serve in kids' ministry, you're going to have a lot more fun. So also on your card, make sure to volunteer for kids' ministry today. So, bear sheet, in the beginning. So if it's a noun or a verb, everything changes. And this isn't unique. Let me, let me make sure, clear, this isn't unique. We have words like this in English. Access. Challenge. Fold. Coach. Question. They're words that, depending on the context, could be a noun or a verb. And if you change the context, if you change what you're emphasizing, and if you said, okay, no, 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 question there is a noun, it's not a verb, everything changes. So this is why this is so important. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. So this is where the word is a noun. So the first letter in Hebrew becomes a preposition. So we end up with in the beginning. But if it's translated as a verb, everything changes. And as a result, the beginning changes. It becomes when. So listen to the two distinct versions here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. Now, let's jump to it being a verb. Listen what happens. When God began to create heaven and earth, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the deep. The second translation, it's very subtle, but the second translation changes everything. So that question that little kids ask about, God, or uh, mommy, what for creation? What existed before? It all of a sudden gets a whole lot murkier. When God began to create heaven and earth, the earth was formless and empty. Sort of sounds like there was something there. Like there was something before. You go, wait a minute, that, that changes everything. In some worlds, it would call it a heresy because God created out of nothing, right? <laughs> this isn't fair. It's unruly. It's hard to translate. Now, I'm not saying the second translation is correct. Let me be very clear on that. What I will say is this. It is an entirely legit translation of the Hebrew. And it raises all sorts of questions. But this is where it's cool. This says something about us and our relationship with God. You see, from the very first page... From the very first word, with the very first letter, we get an invitation. We get a passage that totally changes in meaning depending on how you translate the words. And now you might go, that's, that's scary. But it's actually great news. Because guys, this illustrates an important truth about the Bible. From the very beginning, literally... The Bible starts out by challenging us to interpret. From the very beginning, the Bible doesn't give us easy, straightforward answers. <laughs> and everybody goes, ah. You know, depending on who you are, you're going, that's awesome. 
That's incredible. Or you're going, I'm afraid now. And wherever you are on that spectrum, that's okay. Lean into it a little bit more because listen to this. The Bible is not supposed to be a book that we're just supposed to place on a bookshelf or on a coffee table. It's not just a book that we're just supposed to get up and just read. From the very beginning, this is God saying, this is a book that you're going to wrestle with. Because see, if God wanted, God could have done what God wanted, and he could have said, there will be one universal language. And I realize somebody's going to go, the Tower of Babel, I get that. Just, Just let me run the illustration for a second. God could have just said, this is it. I'm going to put this down in stone. It's going to land on your grandma's coffee table. It's going to be exactly, and everybody's just going to be able to just, just there's going to be no uh, hard things about it, no difficulties, no translation, no, inter- it's just going to land right there, and we're all on the same page. Everything's good. But he didn't. <laughs> he allowed people, Greek people, people who spoke Aramaic, he allowed people who spoke Hebrew to play a part in the story. Here's how, here's how I put this. If God wanted, he could have given us the same language, one book we all could have read that never had to be updated, never had to be translated, never had to be interpreted. Instead, he allowed this connection, collection of stories, history, and letters to be written in the language of the people who were writing it. Think about this. Each generation interpreting and applying the lessons of Scripture to their life. We are a part of that story. This is a huge bottom line. We have been given the gift of not simply receiving, but participating. And that participation, that invitation, that is, an, that is a gift. It is a gift because it means that God doesn't see us as static creation. He sees you and he sees me as a living, breathing part of the story awesome. So how do we participate? What do we do with, with this? How, what do we do with this invitation? I'm glad you asked. So this is a stool. Does everybody agree that this is a stool? We need to do philosophy class here. There's a stool here. How do I know there's a stool? Because I can see the stool, right? There's a stool. This stool has how many legs? Four legs, right? And if one of these four legs broke, it'd be embarrassing, but what would happen? I'd fall. I need all four legs. Now, just like this stool, we have been given tools. We've been given tools as we ask the questions that we're going to ask about, about Scripture, the kind of questions that we should be asking as we accept the gift of interpretation. We get these questions that we've been given. Reason, okay? Experience, scripture, and tradition. So let me go through that again. Reason, experience, scripture, and tradition. Now, think about that. You have a brain. God has given you an incredible ability to think. Just think about the people who sat and looked at that Hebrew. When that comes up on the screen, do you look at it and go, I have no idea what that is? Where do you think the phrase, it's all Greek to me, came from? But somebody 
uses their brain and has a gift to be able to interpret the passages because they have the ability to understand the language. How does Greek translate into English? And they use that gift, but they don't get to do it alone. They don't get to just razor blade a part out and put a part together and say, ah, it's good enough for me because no, we are in a community. So somebody else comes along and they have experience and they look at that and they go, yeah, but that doesn't gel with what I've experienced. That doesn't connect with the way that I've experienced life, the way that I've experienced faith, the way that I have felt God working in my life. It doesn't gel. And so the reason and experience people have to have a dialogue. Wait a minute. Well, maybe, maybe we need to rethink that and how that connects because if that's not how experience, that doesn't seem to make sense. Okay, so let's rethink that again. And then we get Scripture which is that these aren't just orally translated stories, but that God, somebody write this down. Somebody wrote it down. And people began to share these stories. Think about the letters of Paul, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure we don't go too long here. But think about the letters of Paul. Paul sat down, and he wrote these letters, or he dictated the letters to someone who wrote them down. Then they took those letters, they sealed them up, they sent them off with Roman postage, and apparently maybe they're better than the United States Postal, I don't know. And they got to their destinations, and the people in Rome, the people, uh, the Corinthian people, the Galatian folks, they opened those letters like here, and somebody read that letter from Paul. And somebody said, all right, put it in the trash. No, they kept it. These people were the very first email forwarders. They opened it up and went, this is so good. And then they said, "Uh, hey, you should send this to the church in Ephesus. And so they said, yeah, 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 forward it on. And they sent it to them. Then they heard it and they said, this is really good. Let's send it to somebody else. And they sent it to somebody else and they read it. And they were like, oh, this makes total sense for my life. It's like Paul was writing to me. And they sent it to somebody else and somebody else and somebody else. Then yesterday, you opened the Bible, you read it, and you said, it's almost as if Paul is speaking directly to me. And that's Scripture. That's the inspiration of Scripture. That Somehow, a letter 2,000 years ago connects to you, and you go, this feels like it was written to me. But then you read it, and you go, what about that part about the women? That doesn't seem very nice. Well, then people start to interpret, and they go, okay, all women should be silent. So there was an entire tradition of women who were just quiet and just shut up and weren't allowed to talk and weren't allowed to do their thing. They weren't allowed to preach, and there's still that tradition today. That's some traditions. Apparently, we're all going to hell because I let Suzanne preach. But she's really good, so I really don't care what parts her body has. So I look at this and I go, you know, this isn't gelling with my experience. So maybe there's something else going on here. And the tradition people and the scripture people and the experienced people and the reason people, we all start to go, let's have a conversation, let's have a dialogue about this. And, and then we all humbly go, okay, let's try it. We're Okay. Now, what I didn't do was jump up really high, slam down on this thing, and break it apart. That's not the way to do it. I'm going to approach my stool with a little more humbleness. 
And that's the way we're supposed to approach this. We're going to talk about some things. We're going to say, you know what? Maybe, maybe this is what's going on here. But I'm going to tell you right now, there will be parts that you will disagree with me. Maybe you came here today, you got our little flyer, and you said, I'm just going to come just to disagree with Ryan. That's fine. I'm the one up here, so we can talk later if you want. Humble. (laughs) Who let that guy in? (laughs) I did. Ah, see, and that's it. Was there a check at the door? Was, was there a place where you had to mark to make sure that we're all on the same page? There wasn't, was there? See, and that's how I believe. We can come to different conclusions. It's okay. We can have honest dialogue about it. At the end of the day, we're a community that loves Jesus. We're a community that loves our world. We are a community that loves each other. And there are places where we come into a room and we go, I don't agree with that. There are people that I know personally in this space that have come to me and said, Ryan, I don't agree with you on that. And I said, that's fine. We don't have to agree. We're interpreting together. And maybe as we dialogue longer and longer and longer, someday we'll get even closer. Or you know what? Or at the end of the day we go, what's this all about? We just, as my professor used to say in college, Ryan, just fall back into the arms of Jesus. He was this guy, man. He had the wildest interpretations of stuff. And everybody looked at him and said, he's a heretic. He's crazy. I don't even think he loves Jesus. No, he loves Jesus. He said, I'm just falling in the arms of Jesus. I loved it. It's powerful. He said, it's okay. To ask these questions. So I'm not a big acronym guy, but I'm going to be today, okay? Reason, experience, scripture, tradition. The acronym is simple. Rest. Rest. And that's exactly what we can do. When we begin to wrestle with scripture and ask hard questions, we can rest. We can rest in the reality that God can handle our questions, our doubts, even our disbelief. Because you may not know this, but Scripture is filled with questions and doubts and disbelief. We can rest in our faith because even in the midst of the bigger questions that people can ask, people wrote down stories of what God had done and what he was going to continue to do. Do you get that? So even in the midst of questions, God was working in their lives Even in the midst of their questions, they would turn around and say, but my God is with me. I may not have it all figured out, but God is with me. We can rest in our faith because, I just said that. So with that in mind, listen to this. I'm going to (laughs) guess this morning you probably have way more questions than answers but I hope you'll lean into them rather than away from them. See, here's what happened. During college, when I started asking questions, somebody said, you're asking the wrong questions. Then other people said, you shouldn't be asking any questions at all. But then I said, I think you're both wrong. And I figured out that it was where 
authentic faith begins is in those questions. I discovered that God is big enough for the hard questions. And that because of that, I can love the Bible again. So what I do is I take the hand where I'm questioning, and I'm asking these questions. I'm ready to toss this thing out the door. And then I reach over here, and I grab it with this hand of my faith and my certainty. I know who Jesus is. And I know that he is my heavenly father. I know that he saved me. And I know that I have life in him. I believe that. And so when my questions and my doubts want to push this thing this way and throw it away, that hand of faith in who Jesus is keeps pulling it back. And when I read it like that, that's when I fall in love with this thing again. And I start peeling back all sorts of layers and asking hard questions and going, what's going on here? And if you've been around this church very often, you know I get excited about all of that weird stuff because that's when this gets fun. Who, what, where, when, how, why in this thing? Why did they say that? Where, when did they say it? For what reason? Because they had faith. I love that. So guys, can we just go on a journey? Can we over the next few weeks just absolutely go on a crazy journey together and fall in love with the Bible? Let's pray. God, I thank you from the very beginning, you invited us to interpret. God, I thank you from the very, very start, you gave us an invitation. God, as we continue to ask questions that are so very, very difficult, Father, we pray in the midst of those questions that we would be reminded of the invitation you gave to us. That invitation to follow Jesus. That God, in Jesus, we see mercy and grace and love and justice. All of those things we hope and desire for our world. And God, I thank you that Jesus is found at the very center of this book. And that when we wrestle, when we have hard questions, we can remember to set our feet on our belief in Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.